Well, in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob was in a bind. He was about to meet his brother Esau again, and the last time he'd heard from Esau 20 years ago, Esau had sworn that he was going to kill him. On top of that, Jacob's messengers, who had just gone to uh, pave the way for this reunion, had just told Jacob that Esau had, in those 20 years since they'd last seen each other, gathered about 400 armed men. So he was the Old Testament version of a gang leader, like an Al Capone or something like that. So he was traveling, packing heat, probably not guns, just swords. But um, Jacob was not feeling super safe or secure, knowing that this man who uh, last he heard hated his guts was coming to meet him with a small army, literally. And there was reason for that hatred, if you remember. Um, Jacob had to leave his home because he'd stolen, in one sense, his older brother's birth blessing. Jacob's dad wanted to bless Esau as the firstborn and to pray over him and to ask his God to bless him by giving him preeminence and fertility and um, and physical blessing of, you know, having lots of crops and lots of sheep and to just bless him with this blessing that God had given their family line. And when Esau was out hunting, remember, Jacob, at the instigation of his mom, put on some fake animal clothes so that he appeared to be hairy and snuck into his dad's tent, and his dad was blind. And so he didn't quite know who it was, and Jacob managed to steal that blessing that Esau was supposed to get. And so Esau was just so furious that he had sworn he wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob had gone on the lamb. He'd run away 20 years before this night or this day. And he had gone to his uncle Laban's house. And you might remember Laban had two daughters. The younger one's name was Rachel. And Jacob fell in love with Rachel and wanted to marry her. And because Jacob was a good shepherd, Laban said, Hey, why don't you earn off the bride price of Rachel over seven years? And at the end of seven years of you working for me, I'll let you marry her. That was customary back then that there'd be some kind of exchange in a marriage to compensate for the loss of a daughter or to show honor to the family for the gaining of a wife. However you want to look at it, this was customary. And so Jacob was like, sir, yes, sir. And the scriptures say that he was so in love with Rachel that those seven years just disappeared. They just went by in the blink of an eye because he was so looking forward to his wedding day. Well, Laban... Um, pulled the switcheroo on the wedding night, if you remember. And when Jacob went in to go and have his first night of his honeymoon, Laban had actually swapped daughters and put in the older daughter, Leah, who was Rachel's older sister, so that when Jacob woke up in the middle of in, in the morning, he realized he had just um, consummated marriage with the wrong woman. And part of their custom back then was that it still stuck. They didn't get an annulment or something like that. He was still married. And Laban, <clears throat> Laban's issue was that you know, Laban was just a really selfish guy. And he thought whatever situation he was in, it had to be about him. So when Jacob came to come and live with him, 
um, the marriages of the daughters had to be all about him. And if he didn't want to give away the youngest one first, he didn't have to. He could pull his switcheroo. He could get rid of the older one first, and then he could also do a deal for another seven years for the younger one and manage to get 14 years of work, of work out of Jacob for, for the two daughters. And Jacob was kind of stuck. He wasn't at home. He had no power. He had no um, leverage. And so what happened was Jacob is there for those 14 years serving Laban. At the end of those 14 years, you might remember, there's another period of time where Jacob is, is trying to work for some kind of fee. And Laban says to him, yeah, you can work and you'll get part of the flock. And Jacob picks the speckled ones or the striped ones. And a part of the flock of Laban. And Laban tries to rob Jacob again by taking out all of those types of goats and sheep that Jacob was supposed to be working for. And so it was so bad, it's been 20 years of Jacob being um, misused by Laban and continually robbed by Laban that eventually God tells Jacob, you need to just leave. And Jacob runs away. And Jacob does leave. He, he takes off with the flocks and herds because God's blessed him, so he hasn't been totally robbed. God blessed him, managed to make him really fruitful with his herding. And he takes the, the, his wives, he takes all of his kids that he's had, and they leave. And Jacob starts heading back home to meet with Esau. In the meantime, Laban's really upset. And so he comes after Jacob again with a group of uh, his relatives, probably armed again. And Laban was probably going to attack Jacob, probably going to kill him, probably going to take his daughters and the grandchildren and all the flocks back with him. But God um, met Laban in the middle of the night and said, don't you do anything to Jacob. You don't even talk to him. You don't say one thing or another. And Laban and, and Jacob have this big fight. You can read about it in the scriptures. But this is Jacob's hard spot. He's about to meet Esau again, this brother who's sworn to kill him. And he's left behind an uncle that wants to kill him. And they've just promised each other, we're not going to live together ever again. You stay here, I'll go there, but we're not going to live together again. Because uncle wants to kill Jacob, brother last time he heard wants to kill Jacob. And Jacob is in a very, very, very tight spot. But Jacob knows he's not alone. Chapter 32 of Genesis starts off with Jacob leaving from this, this confrontation he's had with Laban. And he comes to a place and he sees a bunch of angels of the Lord, the Bible says. I have no idea what it would look like to realize you're seeing a bunch of angels of the Lord. I can't even really imagine it. Like, is it just like a Winnebago full of glowing people? I don't even begin to understand how you realize you've just run a cross a group of angels hanging out on the earth. But Jacob decides to name this place, which is right beside um, the river, uh, Mehanaim, which means camps, because he feels like he stumbled upon the camp of God. And that's where he realizes, or he gets this message from his servants that Esau is coming to meet Jacob, and he has all these armed men. So he knows he's not alone. But he knows he's in a very tight spot. He cannot go back where he was coming from or else he's probably going to die. And he has the fear of death in front of him from a brother who's a warlord, gang leader, leading armed men to come and confront him. And as far as the physical eye can see, this might be his last night on earth. So this is what he does. He begins to pray. And he says this, 
O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me with the mothers and the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob has this faith-filled and very humble prayer. God, I'm not worthy of all the good things you've done to me. God, I need you to rescue me because I am totally afraid of what's coming towards me. God, please remember your promise. You told me that my descendants would number the sands of the sea. So now I need you, in effect, he's saying, to be faithful to your own promise because I can't make anything good happen. Well, Jacob also is going to not only pray, but try to do some, probably in his eyes, some wise things. He gathers together this huge gift of cattle, and he sends it ahead of him with his servants to Esau. He sends them a bunch of all this stuff. And the messengers are are meant to just keep saying, "Um, your brother Jacob's coming, and this is his gift to you. And he's thinking to himself, maybe this gift will pave pave the way for a great reception. So he's kind of doing the human thing, right? He's kind of doing the, um, I prayed about it, but I can also send this gift towards Esau to hopefully, you know, if he's still mad, hopefully to soften his heart a little bit. Because it's not unreasonable to think that Esau could be mad 20 years later. You know, they say time heals all wounds. That's sometimes true. But bitterness and anger can last in the human heart for 20 years, no problem. 30 years, no problem. 40 years, no problem. Bitterness can dwell in your heart as long as we let it, as long as we nurture it, as long as we're okay with it being there. It could last there easy, easy, easy 20 years. And so it's totally understandable that Esau might just have been waiting to kill this guy for 20 years and seeing this as his his opportunity. So Jacob's thinking, you know, I've got all this blessing got all these these um, dung machines around me, and then maybe if I just send them off to my brother, this will soften his heart and win me a reception. And I'm pretty sure that in Middle Eastern culture at that time, if you did accept these gifts that were sent to you, it would actually strongly culturally obligate you to kindness to the person you accepted them from. So he's thinking that. And it's somewhat interesting to me because Esau was really mad that Jacob got the blessing, and part of the blessing was to have God just provide you with lots of these, um, this wealth in animals and stuff like this. And so, in the wisdom of God, even though Esau didn't get the blessing, he's still getting the blessing. I mean, Jacob's doing all the hard work to earn and win <laughs> all these animals that are born, but by the kindness and, and kind of intricacy of God, Esau is actually receiving the blessing secondhand. The overflow of God's blessing of Jacob is now coming to Esau, which is just interesting. So Jacob does that. But he also does something else. The scripture says that Jacob wakes up in the middle of the night and decides to split his family. And so I'm I'm wondering if Jacob is, he knows he's prayed, he knows he sent the gifts ahead, but now he's just, he, he can't sleep. He's trying to think of another way to kind of manage this dangerous vulnerable, um, frightful situation he's in. So he splits his family and he takes half of his wife and kids because he's got 
two wives and two concubines and a bunch of kids by them. He takes half of them and he's going to split them into one camp and he takes the other half and he splits them in the other camp. And it says, scripture even says it's in the night. He causes his family to cross over the river in the night. So these aren't the actions of somebody who's operating in total peace. You don't wake your family up in the middle of the night to make them ford a river. It's dangerous. It's complicated. It's a mess. So this is Jacob's mindset. He's just kind of like trying to control this danger. And he, and he has faith, but he's also doing strange things. And his, the big idea is, if Esau attacks me and my family while he's killing one group of us, the other group can hopefully get away. That's, that's the plan. That's what he's thinking. And so Jacob's in a tight spot. And he's not feeling in control. And he is not feeling safe. And he's not feeling secure. And even though he's unburdening his soul in prayer, it's not 100% doing the job of providing the peace that surpasses understanding that's going to guard his heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's how I read it, at least. And so he sent his family in two camps ahead of him. And the scripture says that Jacob is alone. And then this is what happens next. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Then the sun rose upon him, and he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of his thigh. Years ago... Jackie and I were in Vancouver, and one of the English-speaking world's premier Hebrew scholars was teaching some of this this Genesis stuff. I think he just put out a commentary, and we were at church with him. And he said, this passage is probably the most mysterious passage in all of Scripture. Nobody has any idea what's going on. And part of what's going on there is to give us the the feeling that Jacob would have had that he had no idea what was going on. Imagine you're Jacob in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. You've sent your family ahead for safety. You're all alone. You're isolated for safety. Hello. You're isolated all alone, hoping that as you put distance in between people, everyone's going to turn out better. At least half of you are hopefully going to turn out better. And then all of a sudden someone jumps you. And you've got to remember, this is Old Testament times. There's no police, there's no government, there's no ambulance, there's no cell phones, there's no, um, there's no nothing. If you're out in the middle of the wilderness and someone jumps you, you've been jumped by somebody in the middle of the wilderness and there's, there's, that's all that's going to happen. 
And I don't know if you've wrestled with anybody lately, but wrestling is the most physically taxing exercise you can do against something. It's just muscle on muscle, bone on bone, will on will, sweat against sweat, grunt against grunt, hair in your face, smelling terrible, dust in your eyes. It is just the most physically taxing thing. And the scripture says that Jacob wrestles with this guy until the day breaks. Just just imagine the out-of-controlness and the not-understanding what's going on feeling that Jacob would have. You've, you've done everything in your power. You prayed. I prayed. It was a good prayer. It was a humble prayer. I prayed the humble prayer. God, I don't deserve it. I just need grace. God, you promised me. I just need grace. And I did what I could, humanly speaking, to make sure people are taking okay. And, and then all of a sudden, I've jumped in the middle of the night. I'm attacked. And it's sweating and it's grunting and it's not even knowing who this person is who's squeezing and grinding and headlocking and sumoplexing. It's not like that. That's that. It's real wrestling, but it's fake wrestling. Real wrestling is just twisting and forcing and trying to catch your breath and then leaning and, and falling and getting back up and tackling and hitting and punching and biting. And they're doing this for maybe hours. Having no clue what's going on. Exhausted. And then there's this, this guy, whoever it is. Remember, it's the middle of the night. And there are no street lamps. And there are no flashlights. And maybe the moon came out sometimes. And maybe it didn't. If there's any cloud covering, it's pitch black. Jacob knows nothing. He understands nothing. All he knows is that... Again, someone is trying to kill me, probably. Laban was trying to kill me. Esau was trying to kill me. Now this guy in the middle of the night's going after me. Maybe he thinks it's one of Esau's men as a hired hitman, some kind of assassin attack. Who knows? He doesn't know. All he knows is that it feels like he's literally fighting for his life. Again. And he is fighting. And one of the strangest things about this passage is that um, Jacob isn't losing. Now, I think the rabbis of old and maybe some scholars, they kind of wonder if Jacob wasn't a physically massive person or at least physically very strong. You remember when Jacob first meets Rachel, they're at this well and the well is covered and all these shepherds are waiting to get together to uncover the stone off of the well so that they can water their flocks and get back out because you're not supposed to be watering your flocks in the day. They're supposed to be eating during the day. But they're like, we've got to wait for everyone to get here before we can take the lid off of this rock. And Jacob sees Rachel, and in the, the Bible's greatest act of trying to impress a girl ever, Jacob grabs this stone and he rolls it off all by himself. And so he, he's probably quite strong. And so we see him also wrestling this angel. Like, I wouldn't even last a minute against most people, let alone an, an angel, we find out. And, and he's not losing. This is Jacob. He's, he is so strong. And this is part of Jacob's life, is that he, ha, he has amazing natural abilities. He's strong. He's savvy. He's, he's, he's tricky. He's shrewd. He, he knows how to, to take care of animals. He knows how to multiply them. Um, he's physically potent. He has like 10 kids or 11 or 12 or 13 by now. Who knows? He has a lot of kids. So he's potent. He's strong. But he, and he's wrestling against this angel and it's a draw. That's crazy. 
But he's not winning either. And so this, this, this man, this mysterious man who turns out to be an angel or the presence of God or something, it's daybreak. And this is the only rule that the, this individual has is he does not want to be seen by Jacob. And so when it looks like dawn is approaching, he says, I got to go, let me go. And he reaches out and he touches Jacob's hip in a way that, that injures him for the rest of his life. Which is really funny that they would call it a touch. Like a touch for us, is that, you know, it's not like, boom! You know, we don't do touches like that. Maybe it's like a Bruce Lee one-inch punch or something like this where it's just like, touch! Ah, chest explosion. I don't know what it is. But there's, there's almost even like this wording understatement where this man touches Jacob and his leg explodes. Because we would say something like he kicked him or he wrenched him or he beat him or he like pulled a figure four leg lock and leaned back on it and just ripped the, the hip out of the socket. But it doesn't say that. It just says he touched him. Bang! Hip out of socket. And that's not easy to do because your hip, I think, has one of the most, you know, the most muscles holding your, your bone into the socket. And so the, the, the man touches him in the middle of the night screaming, hurting like he's maybe never hurt in his life before. And now it's not a fair fight anymore. Now it's not even. Now if the guy wanted to kill Jacob, there's probably nothing Jacob could do. So now Jacob's gone from wrestling with this guy and, and it being a tie to now the man saying, like, I hurt you. I've won. I want you to let me go. And now the picture is just of Jacob holding on to the guy. He's not, he can't win the fight. He's just holding on to him. And somehow Jacob, Jacob is probably more confused than Steinbacker trying to keep up with the latest restrictions. But he knows something is going on here. And so he... He just says, I won't let go till you bless me. That is one of the craziest responses to a life-threatening, physically exhausting, mentally confusing situations you'll ever see anybody have in all of human history. Right after he breaks your leg, you're holding on to him saying, this guy who just hurt you so bad, who wants to leave. And you don't think, so you're not going to kill me? <laughs> you're going to go? Like, this is as bad as it's going to get. He said, no, you have to bless me. I'm not going to let go of you bless me. And you almost want to picture Jacob getting dragged through the dust. Like, you know, when your kids are holding onto your leg in the kitchen and just, and just getting dragged along by this guy who's won. He won. He won. He won. He won. And Jacob's just holding onto his leg. I can imagine it. I don't, it doesn't say that's what's happening, but you can just imagine him just like, gripped onto his leg, getting dragged along across the stones and in the dust and getting filthy, just saying, I'm not letting go till you bless me. So it's so weird. I don't, I, I actually can't imagine what Jacob was thinking. Again, this passage is meant to be confusing and meant to be mysterious because something so unknown, it helps us understand what Jacob was going through. He had no reason to think anything special was going on here. But he's, he's, he's finally brought to, 
to the place of greatest desperation in his life. And all he knows is that this guy beat him in the wrestling match and wants to go. And he says, no, I'm not letting go till you bless me. You have to bless me. You have to bless me. You have to bless me. Which is really interesting. Where did the problem come between Jacob and Esau? He stole a blessing. A blessing from the father, yeah. But now Jacob is seeking a blessing from somebody else. And it's really interesting to me that this physical encounter with an angel or the Lord, it could only occur once Jacob was finally alone, finally isolated, finally really isolated. His mom wasn't there to tell him what to do. His wives weren't there to either complain or kind of manipulate him into doing anything. His kids weren't there to make him feel like a million bucks or to tell him what a bad daddy is. His servants weren't there to report anything to him or to go and do his bidding. He's finally alone. And then the Lord shows up and the Lord hurts him. And now Jacob is really finally able to ask for a blessing with nothing to offer. Not manipulated not bought, not snuck, not earned, not worthy of, for real, for real, for real. All Jacob has right now is his physical exhaustion and agony, but he's holding on for a blessing. Then they have this really interesting little interchange about renaming. (laughs) Jacob wants to know what this guy's name is, and the guy just says, why are you asking? It doesn't say anything else. And then it says, and there he blessed him. Speaking of the scriptures not telling us things that we could want to know, it doesn't even say how he blessed him or with what he blessed him. It just says he got what he sought. He got the blessing because he didn't let go. Jacob did interpret what was going on there by giving that place a name, Peniel, which just means the face of God. And it's called Peniel in one verse and Penuel in another verse. And that is not a big deal because Hebrew does it all the time with little vocalization changes. And they wouldn't have thought a big deal of that at all. And sorry for using the word vocalization, but that's just what happens. But he goes away with this sign of God's blessing in his flesh, which is a limp. And for the rest of his life, he goes along hurting every time he uses either his right leg or his left leg. This guy who's huge or big enough or strong enough before to lift this rock, he's strong enough before to wrestle with an angel of God and tie, and now he's going to go through life limping and every single time he's going to steps on that leg, it could be a reminder to him, I, I wrestled with an angel of God and got a new name. And he blessed me. That's the reminder of the blessing. Ow, I'm blessed. Ow, I'm blessed. Ow, I'm blessed. Ow, I'm blessed. i got to sit down for a sec, so I'm not reminded so strongly of I'm blessed. But it's this really weird passage. It's this really weird passage that the blessing of God would come through suffering here. All the way back to Jacob. Somebody may have started off this, this morning by reading a passage about something like that.
But the awesome thing that happens is that this is the response that Esau does. Right away in the next chapter. I'll just keep reading. The sun rises. God is gone. The dark night of the soul is gone. The evidence of God's presence is there in Jacob's hip. The remembrance of his blessing is there in Jacob's hip. Verse 1 of chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming. And 400 men with him. And so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with the children in front and Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. And remember, every time he bowed to the ground, it would have hurt, hurt, hurt. And then in verse 4 it says, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I sometimes wonder when Jesus was telling the story of the prodigal son and how the father ran to meet the prodigal son and fell on his neck and wept, if Jesus wasn't just echoing this line from Jacob and Esau. And then they have this great reunion, and Esau is genuinely glad to see Jacob and receives the gifts with some prodding, And the brothers are at peace. And later on, they're able to bury their father together at peace. But God did it. He absolutely answered Jacob's prayer. But from the moment of asking for the prayer and the moment of receiving the answer for the prayer was the craziest, confusingest, agonizingest time for Jacob and the Lord. And he totally got his blessing. It just didn't happen easy. He totally got his blessing. It just didn't come with a sweatless solution. He totally got his blessing. He just needed to wrestle with the Lord for it. For real, for real. He got a, it was a blessedling. T-shirt. Blessel. Blesseled. I think we should worship again. So I'll invite the team up again. And I am going to pray for us. Why don't you bow with me? Father, have we ever been so proven to be powerless in many ways, even though we are a powerful people in many ways. Father, we are blessed people in so many ways. And here we are. And here we are. God, bless us. God, bless us in our homes. Bless us in our kids. God, bless us. Bless us, God, in our minds and bless us in our hearts. God, bless us. God, bless us in our bodies. Bless us in our hope for the future. God, bless us. God, bless this town, this Steinbeck, this middle of nowhere Steinbeck that keeps making national and sometimes international news. 
Father, God, bless us. Bless us, Lord Jesus. Bless us with your true blessing and your real blessing. Let us not despise the limps you give us. Lord, give us the blessings. Lord, bless this town. Bless our leaders. God, bless this province. Bless our leaders, God. Bless our homes. Bless our families. Bless our churches, God. Bless us. Bless us. Come down and bless us, God. Bless us with your, with your best blessings in Jesus. Bless us with your most hopeful blessings in Jesus. Bless us with your most breaking breakthroughs in Jesus, God. And Holy Spirit, give us grace to not let go until we see the blessing. Amen.